0: Hello and welcome to the Spirit World Center. The following is the Spirit World Center podcast. If you have any questions about the spirits or training, you can visit our website at spiritworldcenter.com. And now, please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Spirit World Center. Today, I'm joined by Maria Dominic Lopez, And she is a Reiki master and spiritual life coach who has had some tremendous experiences, some that truly affected and and shaped her life, and also receives messages during Reiki sessions. She's also developed her clairs over the years. It's uh, truly going to be wondrous to talk with her today. So uh, Maria, how are you today?
1: Hi, Eric. I'm so great. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, thank you very much for being here. So Maria, what can you tell us about yourself? Uh, What is your spiritual practice and how do you help people?
1: Oh, thank you for asking. So um, I am, as Eric said, a Reiki master, a certified Reiki master, um, a spiritual life coach, an intuitive energy reader, an empath. And uh, my special magic I guess is what I would say. The way that I tr- choose to help people is I specifically focus on helping people to heal trauma that is stored in their autonomic nervous systems using reiki, which has been scientifically proven to help um, regrow the myelin lining on your myelin sheath, which is um, the nerve, the nerveets, the nerve endings that make up your entire autonomic nervous system. So it helps to rewire the nervous system when it's holding on to trauma. It's been clinically proven to increase REM sleep, to decrease cortisol levels, decrease inflammation and pain, all sorts of really beautiful healing effects that come from Reiki. And so that's what I choose to use my my spiritual powers for is to help people specifically hone in on trauma and the effects of trauma, not only on their body, but also on their mind and their spirit. I have a three month long one on one Reiki intensive program called the Phoenix Rising, where I help people heal their trauma once and for all for good in three months flat. Um, That's not promising that you'll heal the greatest traumas of your life in three months, but that is promising that in three months, you will absolutely have every single tool ingrained in your nervous system to be able to heal yourself of every trauma for good. And I know because I've done it for myself. So um, yes, there are traumas that I'm definitely still healing, but there are traumas that I have completely healed. And I always say to everyone who will sit still long enough to listen that if there is one thing that I could say to you, if there's one thing that you can take away from your interactions with me, I want it to be the hardcore, totally confident belief that you can heal your trauma for good. It's not a myth. No, you you don't just get better at coping with it over time and that's how it goes and that's just what it's going to be for life. You can heal for good and it is possible and I can teach you how. Um, and then additionally, the other way that I help people is I just launched my Reiki certification program, Ascension 101. And that is designed to take you from being a normal Joe Schmo like I was when I first started my journey, knowing absolutely nothing about spirituality, to having literal magic hands like me. So from mundane to magic to master, in a year's time, you will go and you will learn everything about how to create a spiritual life for yourself. And then you will be certified in Reiki one and two, and as a a Reiki master. And in that whole program, I not only teach you how to access energy and to really open up your energy channels and feel the energy of the universe coming out of your amazing magical hands, it's so cool, but I also teach you how to decolonize your Reiki practice in the process using ancestral veneration to be able to access spirit guides and ancestors in sessions the way that I do. So that, in a nutshell, is what I do.
0: Fantastic. That is wonderful stuff you're doing. And I noticed that term. So what is it that you mean by decolonize your practice?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So popular belief is that Mikao Usui, who is the founder of Reiki Ryoho Usui, which is generally speaking, when someone tells you they're a Reiki practitioner, they're usually referring to Reiki Ryoho. Now, there have been other forms of Reiki that have kind of developed throughout the westernization process of Reiki over the last hundred years or so. But in 1920-ish, 1922, Master Usui claimed to have, let's say, rediscovered Reiki um, or founded Reiki. And really what happened was this, Master Usui Usui was an incredibly well-educated man. He lived a very interesting life with access to tons of educational resources and spiritual resources. And he was able to essentially save Reiki from colonization. Every single indigenous culture on this planet at some point or another has had some sort of quantum energetic healing practice that is hands-on, but so many of those have been lost due to colonization and particularly the colonization of Christianity across the globe. And so in 1920-ish, 1922, like I said, Master Usui decided to take this shamanic, indigenous, Shinto religiously based practice that had been around for millennia, that was being practiced by indigenous people in tribes all over Japan for millennia. He took this practice. And because the emperor of Japan at the time was westernizing the entire country already, um, and he was really trying to keep Japan from being colonized and conquered, he was like, oh, if they see us as allies, then they'll leave us alone, right? He was already doing away with anything that was like deeply indigenous and deeply spiritual. And so to help Reiki survive, Master Usui decided to strip it of all of its religious and faith and spiritual practices and turn it into what is considered Reiki now, which is a very scientifically based, um, very factually based practice that's based in quantum physics, which is great because quantum physics has definitely proven over the years that that this healing really does work for those of us like me who are little doubting thomases <laughs> i needed that scientific proof to be able to believe in it but because he westernized it in this way and removed it from its indigenous uh, roots right it then he, he couldn't have known he could have known the consequences the consequences were this um Mistress Takata, who was one of his um like grandbaby Reiki masters, so one of his Reiki masters trained her. And she went on to train m- the majority of like the main Reiki masters in the Western culture in the United States. She moved to Hawaii, she was training people in Hawaii, and she was the first person to really understand: oh, if I train a lot of people in Reiki, I can make a lot of money. Master Usui. However, he practiced Reiki his entire life and he only trained, I think, 11 Reiki masters. In his entire life, he only trained 11, but she trained hundreds. And from her hundreds, that is kind of what watered down our experience of training in Reiki so that now, you know, in the old days in Japan and in every single indigenous culture, we've had this like master and apprentice relationship, right? Where the apprentice will work with a master for years, for decades, sometimes for almost their entire life before they are deemed worthy of taking over the business for the master, right? This requires deep devotion to the practice, to the art of what it is you are doing. So you know that you're really honoring it, right? And now you can get a Reiki certification at a weekend retreat at the Marriott for 500 bucks, you know, and that, That is really only teaching us how to write the symbols and say a few words and place our hands on bodies in certain ways. And that's kind of it. But if you can't feel energy coming from your hands, if you cannot feel it, and if your clients can't feel anything, you're not practicing Reiki. You're just not. So that's that's kind of where we're at. We've we've ended up with this really watered down, very colonized, very westernized, very capitalized version of this amazing magical healing practice. It's it's a shame.
0: I see. And so what does a a decolonized form of Reiki look like? So for instance, are you reconnecting with sounds like the animist roots of Reiki? Are you reconnecting with the spiritual realm? Are Are you kind of infusing it with things that are not found in the type of Reiki training you can get at the Marriott?
1: Yes, absolutely. So that is one of the big reasons why this training program, this Reiki program that I have is a year long because that is how long it took me to universally attune myself to the energy of Reiki as a master. And I'm taking you through literally every single step that it took me to be able to move energy through my body, to be able to offer ancestral veneration in a way that decolonized my own mind, in a way that allowed me to access the shadows of my own colonization in order to purify myself from those programmings and those shadows. So there's a lot. The, the, the entire curriculum is really developed with a mindset to decolonizing in every way possible. And, you know, I mean, that's a whole nother podcast conversation that we could get into about the insidiousness of colonization in our spiritual practices and in ripping us from the truth of our own divinity. Um, but we don't got that kind of time.
0: <laughs> yes, that's definitely a discussion for another day, but definitely we'll have to have it sometime for sure. So wow, that is absolutely fascinating. Uh, but we have to jump into some experiences from your life now because uh, um, that's the point of the show. <laughs> so, um, so you had a very, a very life changing experience with a ghost experience and three dreams. Uh, can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. So um, uh, this is basically a combination of my origin story and also the reason why I'm alive today to have this conversation with you. Um, And my origin story, I mean my origin story as as a healer. So in 2012, my grandmother Edie passed away and she was my favorite person in the entire world. She was my biggest supporter, my biggest fan. Um, Before I became a healer, I was a full-time opera singer. And uh, yeah, before the pandemic, I sang opera full time. And she was, that was always her dream to see me sing opera. And the day that I opened my first professional show, she passed away. Yeah, she, uh, weirdly enough, she caught a coronavirus, not the coronavirus, but a coronavirus and passed away. And um, I remember being really devastated. And it was interesting because my grandma Edie was considered to be the most powerful woman in our family when she died. Um, she was not always the most powerful woman in our family. Her mother had that had that title. Um, this is my father's side of the family. Um, are, that side of the family is indigenous Mexican geniceros. And um, there's a lot of brujería that happens in the family on that side. And so my great-grandmother was this very powerful witch. She was deeply, deeply religious. And she was very blessed by archangels and by, by saints. And uh, some of the things she did were absolutely incredible. Like this one time, my uncle who lived in Puerto Rico, his wife called my grandma Ghani, was her name Ghani. He called Ghani and uh, and he, or she called Ghani and she was freaking out, my uncle's wife. And she was like, there's a big hurricane. There's this dead tree. It's right next to our house. It's going to fall on our house and destroy our house. And Ghani said, that's not going to happen. Hang up the phone. It's going to be fine. She hangs up the phone. Ghani goes and does her thing, her magic thing. And all of a sudden, this huge gust of wind comes. And this tree was like, it was like hanging on its roots, like almost tearing about to fall on the house. This huge gust of wind comes and blows it in the opposite direction, but it falls right in between the two houses, right on either side of it hurting nobody. Like that kind of stuff, you know? Or like, um, when I was, when my mom was pregnant with me, I wasn't even born yet. My dad had this massive kidney stone, massive, and it, it couldn't pass. So, uh, they had to do surgery and my mom was freaking out, um, because he had just had surgery like several days before for another kidney stone on the other side that had been stuck. And, So she didn't want him to go into surgery. She was about to go into labor like any day now. She was freaking out. So she called Ghani and was like, I don't know what to do. And Ghani said, honey, don't worry. Hang hang up the phone. He's not going to have surgery. It's going to be fine. And the next day they were wheeling my father into surgery. They did one more scan to see where the stone was. So they knew where to cut and it was gone. It hadn't passed in the night. It wasn't in his urine bag in the hospital. It was nowhere. It was gone. Like that kind of stuff. My grandma Ghani was magical AF, you know? Uh, so when she passed away, she gave what she called her katra <laughs> to my my grandmother, Edie, her daughter, my dad's mom. And so we always knew that Edie was like really magical. And when she passed in 2012, I was really devastated. And probably about, she passed in October, So in March of the next year, she, she came to me in a dream. I was in the dream. I was with my cousin, Janine, and we were walking through a mall. It was like a dingy, disgusting, you know, fluorescent lighting mall. And we turned the corner and there's my grandma Edie and she looks fabulous. I mean, you you had to know my grandma. She was like very into vintage clothing. She was like teeny tiny. She had like size five feet, like Marilyn Monroe. I mean, she was amazing. She had a whole closet of gorgeous vintage stuff that was too small for me to wear. That I, I I don't even know what happened to it when she passed away. It's a tragedy. But she she we round this corner and she looks unbelievable. She's dressed in this like skin tight black pencil skirt. She's got this black fur stole on. She's got sky high black stiletto heels. I mean, she looks super hot. And I was like, oh my gosh, grandma. And I go and I hug her and she's like, hi, my honey, which is what she always used to say. And I said, oh my gosh, you look so amazing. And she was like, well, I feel amazing, my honey. And I just went and squeezed her. I was like, oh, I miss you so much. And then I hear my cousin Janine laughing in the background. And I turned to look at her and I'm like, what? And she's like, why are you hugging Aunt Pam like that? And I look back. And it's not my grandma Edie, it's my Aunt Pam, my grandma Edie's brother's wife. And I'm like, oh, hi, Aunt Pam, like, how are you? And she's like, oh, hi, girls, I'm just shopping, like, what are you guys doing? Or whatever, right? And she goes, okay, well, it was nice to see you, I got to go see you later. And she leaves. And Janine looks at me like I'm a total spaz. And then I'm like, shut up, leave me alone. And <laughs> so we keep walking through the mall. We turn another corner and there she is again, my grandma Edie looking fabulous still in this like whole black getup. And I run to her and I give her a hug and I was like, oh my God, grandma, I miss you so much. And she was like, well, I miss you too, my honey. And Janine starts laughing again. And so I turn back and I look at her and I'm like, what is your problem? And she was like, oh, well, why are you hugging Aunt Sandra like that? And I look back and it's now my Aunt Sandra and not my grandma Edie. This is my grandma Edie's daughter, my, my father's sister. And I'm like, oh, hi, Aunt Sandra. And she's like, oh, hi, girls. I love you so much. What are you two doing? Blah, blah, blah. Right. She's, she's her cute little self. And then she's like, well, it was nice seeing you girls. I got to run too. So I'll see you later. And we're like, okay, bye. And we're, we're walking down the hall and I was like so confused. I said to Jane, that was Grandma Edie. And she was like, you're an idiot. That was definitely not Grandma Edie. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then I woke up. So <laughs> that day I call my, my Aunt Sandra because my Aunt Sandra is also a Reiki healer. And she's very woo and spiritual like me. And so I was like, Aunt Sandra, you're not going to believe this dream I had. It was crazy. And she was like, okay. So I tell her the dream. And then like, there's like 30 seconds of silence after I tell her. And she goes, is that why you're calling me to tell me this? And I was like, y- yeah. She's like, is that the only reason? I was like, yes. Should there be another reason? And she goes, today's my birthday. and. Today is also your Aunt Pam's birthday. We have the same birthday. Did you not know this? And I was like, no, I didn't know this. Happy birthday. And then she starts to cry. And she says, I've always thought that my mom loved your father more than me. Because every year she would call to tell me, it's your brother. It's your brother Robert's birthday. Don't forget to call him. But she never remembered my birthday. And I just started laughing. I was like, Aunt Sandra please. The only reason why grandma Edie remembered my father's birthday is because my mother called her every year for 40 years and told her it is your son's birthday today. Don't forget to call him. She couldn't even remember her own birthday, let alone her sons or her daughters. And then she just started crying harder. And she was like, you have no idea how healing this was for me to hear this. It's almost like she came to you to tell, tell me happy birthday and aunt Pam happy birthday. And that's when I realized that dream was a true dream. That was my grandma coming to tell me that it was real, to prove to me that her visitation was real, right? So a few months passed by, and I have another dream about her. And in this dream, I am with my ex-husband, now ex-husband, um, and we are in Boston in the dream where we live at the time. And uh, we're running late for something, and we're trying to catch a train. So we are running through a park, and... All of a sudden, as we're running through this park, we're cutting through. I see my grandma and she's in this park and she is dressed ridiculously in this stupid golf outfit with, you know, like the pom poms on the shoes and the plaid and like the whole thing. She looks ridiculous. And she's playing golf in this park really badly, like really bad golf. And I stop and I was like, Grandma? And she's like, Hi, my honey. And I was like, well, What are you doing here? And she's like, oh, I'm finally enjoying my retirement, which is a really wry joke coming from my grandma because she only, she passed when she was only 76 and she worked full time up until the day she died. And uh, she was a, an entrepreneur, like a, a badass, like super feminist entrepreneur woman. And, and so she's like, oh yeah, I'm finally enjoying my, my retirement. And I was like, oh, okay, uh, well, grandma, I'm curious to know. And she said, yes. And I said, what's heaven like? And she stopped what she was doing and she looked at me straight in the face and she said, well, you should know my honey, you're living in it. And then I woke up. It took me seven years to figure out what that dream meant. And I'll get back to that in a little bit. So fast forward a few more months and my ex-husband and I are not doing well. Um, It was a very violent marriage. Um, It was, he was physically abusive. He was emotionally abusive. He was... um, mentally abusive, verbally abusive. And um, he was also really frequently unfaithful. And so I had um, found text messages from, I don't know, like woman number seven or eight on his phone. And I was really upset and And I prayed to my grandma um, because after I received that first dream, I, I had started speaking to her pretty actively. And I prayed to her and I said, you know, grandma, come and tell me what to do, please. Please tell me. I don't know what to do. And I asked her to come to me in a dream that night. And she did. Um, She did, but she didn't. She wasn't there visibly, but I could feel that she was there. You know what I mean? You You know how it is with dreams. So in the dream, I'm in a brand new white Cadillac sedan. Uh, with that like pearlized white paint that's so pretty. And it's got an interior, like all black leather interior, brand new. And I'm driving this car and I'm driving it down a paved road that is so new and dark black, pitch black pavement. It doesn't even have lines painted on it yet. That's how new it is. And I'm driving through a huge pine forest with like these enormous trees that are so tall. And it's beautiful. It's so peaceful, this drive. And I get to this very slight curve in the road. It's just nothing. It's just a tiny curve. And I turn the wheel to curve with the road and I lose control of the car and I crash. I flip the car and I die. And I know I like wake up on impact knowing that I've died in the dream. And I was like, okay, whatever that was, thanks for nothing, grandma. (laughs) Couldn't have been more clear. (laughs) And that day I had lunch with my mom and her best friend. And I was telling them about my dream. And I was like, you're going to believe this crazy dream I had last night. And her best friend, I kid you not, I did not know this, but her best friend's like, oh, I just started studying dream analysis. Do you want me to tell you what that means? I was like, yes, please. So he goes, okay, so in dreams, cars represent the path that your life is on. Your, your path that your life is on looks shiny and new from the outside. It looks perfect from the outside, but on the inside, it's totally dark right? When you're in it, it's totally dark. If you keep going on the path that you're going, it may seem like it's manageable right now, but it will kill you in the end. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay. And I left my ex-husband that day. Um, I never went back. And several months later, I was telling my mom about these dreams, these three dreams with my grandma. And when I finished telling her the story I just told you, she looked at me with this face, like her whole face went white, just like she'd seen a ghost. And I was like, what's wrong with you? And she said, you know, I never told you this because I knew you didn't want to hear it about your ex-husband, but Edie hated him. And... She and I had a conversation about a week before she died, where she said to me, and this was the last thing that Edie ever said to me, Maria, she said to me, if it is the last thing I do on this earth, I will see Maria away from that man. And I was obviously shocked to hear that. But what was really interesting is that Edie has never come to me in a dream since. I know she's there. I speak to her still often, but she never says anything anymore because she did what she said she would do now fast forward to seven years later i am in an mdma ceremony with my meditation instructor we've been meditating for six hours and my hands begin to tingle with reiki this was when i attuned myself to reiki after you know six or seven months of real deep spiritual devotion And I begin to feel my hands tingling with Reiki. And then it comes to me so clearly because one of the intentions I had brought into this journey was to find out what that second dream meant, finally to have the answer. And I realized when she said, you should know, my honey, you're living in it. When I asked her what heaven was like, what she was trying to say to me is that my body is a, Home for spirit, for divinity, for God. And where does God live? God lives in heaven. My body is a literal heaven on earth. It houses the divine. And now that divine comes out of me to help other people heal. It just took me so long to figure out that she was trying to tell me all along, you're meant to be a healer, heal people, right? But it was there all along. It was amazing. Not long after that, maybe two weeks. Three weeks later, I got my first Reiki certification and I haven't looked back, but it's just really interesting how that entire experience has been leading up just like every other experience in my life has been leading up to being someone who helps heal people at a spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental level, especially from deep trauma, like I experienced.
0: That is absolutely incredible. Wow. That is some deep healing through dreams and Some of it was delayed, as you said, by up to seven years, but that is, that is an incredible insight as well. Wow. I'm glad that your, that your grandmother was able to figure out that last bit of unresolved uh, unresolved issues. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She literally pulled my life. I wouldn't, I, I, I know I wouldn't be here to have this conversation with you if she hadn't sent me that final dream. And if, if, she hadn't been so very clear in her intention about saying that.
0: Yeah. I mean, and even the things that synced up, right? For instance, uh at the luncheon, the one person who has been looking into dream analysis, right? Like that just, you know, I wonder if she was inspired to to say that particular interpretation, right? Oh wow. wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that encounter. That's uh that that sends chills. Wow, that is—it's um, amazing how the spirit world is able to reach out through dreams and through just those little synchronicities that just nudge us in the right direction. We just have to be open to it, right? It can be so easy to be closed off to it, right? Oh, I just had a weird dream. Oh, I had a second weird dream. Oh, I had a third weird dream, <laughs> and no, I'm not going to bother talking about it. Like it's so easy to be closed off to this kind of thing. Absolutely. But you just have to be willing to listen. And to just just allow these things to guide us,
1: right? Wow. And that's something that I think Edie really knows about me. Um, She knows how my parents raised me. My parents were agnostic, bordering on atheistic. They really raised me to believe that if you can't scientifically prove it, it doesn't exist. And so she knew that I was gonna need like rock solid proof. And that's why she started straight out the gun with Pam and Sandra's birthdays. Like I wasn't even friends with them. I don't even think, Facebook existed when that, or not in my life, it didn't exist. So I didn't have any like Facebook reminders of people's, like, I didn't have that. It was very clear, like, here's your proof. You want some proof? Here you go. Silver platter.
0: Incredible. Wow. Um, so one last thing I want to talk with you about tonight is uh, that your Reiki practice, right? So you often experience spirits coming through and, and guiding you in your sessions. And I think this is a very Important and fascinating phenomena to explore because it's just so prevalent when it comes to Reiki, and uh, and so yeah, how how do the spirits come through to you? Do you feel like they ever guide your hands or you know basically almost take control in the process, or are they just kind of suggesting things? How how does that experience take place for you?
1: Mm, I'm so glad you asked. Um, well, the first thing I want to say about that is you know you mentioned that it's so prevalent with Reiki. And, you know, I think I've always had a feeling, I've had people reach out to me and ask me, can you just do an energy reading? Like, what if I don't want the Reiki? Like, can you just give me an energy reading? And the answer from me is always no, no, I can't. Um, because I really believe that spirits are so prevalent or so present with Reiki healers in particular, or or energy healers in particular, because they are essentially it's an energy exchange i heal your person and you give me information to tell them that they need to know right it's like but but you're not going to talk to me if i haven't shown you that i'm trustworthy yet if i haven't shown you that i'm invested in the healing of your person who you're here to guide and protect right so for me it's always felt like energy exchange like i'm very lucky if they choose to deem me a worthy vessel to communicate to whoever they are guiding or guarding um and if they choose not to tell me that, that that's okay too. But I would say about 70 to 80% of my clients do, do have some communication that comes through me from their spirit guides or ancestors. And when that doesn't happen during a session, I assume that everything we've heard is what we needed to hear and that the energy is speaking loudly enough for them to receive whatever messages they need. Um, there are a couple things that go into it for me in my sessions. Um, For one, I minister deeply to my third eye, um, to the clairs that come through me, and I really choose to act as vessel. So I place hands. I am funneling energy to someone. I'm not giving them my energy. It's not my energy. It's Reiki. (laughs) I'm not God. Well, I have a theory about us all being God, but that's a whole nother Conversation. Uh, you can go listen to my my podcast episode on fagnostic if you want to know about that. But <laughs> um, you know, I have this this ability to funnel healing to others. Right, I'm not giving it to them myself. And when I'm hollowed out in that way, I think it just makes for natural channeling to happen, which is also a possible reason why many Reiki healers experience this connection with spirit. If you're hollowing yourself out to make yourself a vessel, a funnel, um, like a meat straw for universal energy, it only stands to reason that other things would funnel through as well at the same time, just like messages from our spirit guides and ancestors. So when you're receiving a Reiki session from me, I place hands on your energy, whether it's distance or in person. Um, And for those of you listening who aren't familiar with Reiki, yes, Reiki can be given over the farthest of distances. It can also be given in other dimensions and in other times. So I can definitely send Reiki to the past, to the future, all of those things. Um, But I place hands on the energy and then I really just listen. I listen to what the energy is telling me. I can feel I've made my body into a mirror. So it very physically, actively feels changes and shifts in your energy field in your body um sometimes that presents as pain for me i once i discovered that with like my second client ever i didn't realize i could do that but i felt sick to my stomach to the point of throwing up the entire session and then as soon as i took my hands off of him i was fine i was like oh that was you what's going on with your stomach and he's like oh yeah i've been having digestive issues for like six months and i was like oh that makes sense <laughs> so those kinds of things right but um But that way I can mirror what the energy is doing and tell you what your energy is telling me. So I speak to the spirit of your energy. And then in exchange, your spirit guides or ancestors sometimes come in and tell me things too. Sometimes they're very clear and they speak in full sentences. Sometimes they give me random Prussian names that have nothing to do with anything. And you have to go figure that out on your own. That actually happened to me once, literally um, sometimes they give me a letter. Sometimes they give me a vision. They come in in all sorts of different ways. And I just choose to continue being open and saying, okay, whatever that was, that's what you, my client needs to hear and know. And I can't be the judge of, well, that doesn't make sense to me. I just have to accept that what came through is what it is. My client will understand eventually or they won't. And that's that's all we can do.
0: Fantastic and I find that everyone's spiritual nervous system is a bit different, when you are hearing messages, right? How does your clair come in? Like, first off, do you like hear a voice? Does it? Is it your voice? Is it another's voice? Like, how, how is that actual internal phenomena come through for you?
1: Mm, such a good question. Um, it's a little different each time. Um, generally speaking, it comes in as a voiceless set of words um, that comes in as like, it's being read to me or something like that, but I don't hear the voice with my ear. I hear it in my mind. Um, sometimes if I think that it's me projecting, I will wait uh, because you know we're only human and we have subconsciouses that project stuff all the time. So in order to allow my ego mind to have that moment of its doubt, I will wait. And if the message keeps persisting and gets louder and louder, then I know it's not me projecting because if I'm projecting, I can set it aside. Right, and say, Oh, no, 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 that was just me. And I'll just set that aside and open myself back up. But if it keeps coming in very intensely, then I know, okay, that was very clearly not me. And that was for my client. Um, but then sometimes I will, I'll have a, an ancestor come in that'll be very clearly like I can feel their emotions as an empath. And I can feel that they're like, they have such maternal or grandfatherly or whatever love for this person. And they speak with a masculine voice. And I hear it very clearly. Like it's a very masculine voice or it's a very feminine voice or whatever. So sometimes I do have that as well. And then with the visions, you know, I see them behind my eyes, almost like a movie is coming across my eyelids. It's very, very clear. It's never just like a shape or something. It's like a whole scene, a whole situation that happens, which is really intense.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you for going into detail about that. So we're coming up on time. Uh, Maria, do you have any message that you would like to share? Any words of wisdom for the audience that you'd like to impart?
1: Mm, Yeah, I think it's just so important for you to understand, for us all to understand that spirit is constantly conspiring to help us grow that spirit is constantly conspiring to support us in whatever way we need most in any given moment. And I hope that my story today really helps to to reinforce that for you, that even when we don't know the answers, spirit knows the answers, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, That, that being, that consciousness, that understands what you need. And all we have to do is just... Be the vessel. Be open to receiving. And it's okay to doubt. It's okay. Don't shame yourself. That's not an excuse to shame yourself if you have your moments of doubt. We are still living in this 3D body. We may be 5D spirits, but we're still stuck in a meat sausage casing, and we experience a human experience. And part of that is an ego-mind that doubts. And that is okay, too. Just keep trying to stretch your faith, and you'll get there.
0: I love it. Fantastic. And Maria, where can people find you online? What are your social medias, your websites? Where can people find your services?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at AscendingArts or on my website at ascendingarts.exchange. I'm also on Facebook and TikTok. Um, I'm building those communities now. So if you'd like to join and get in at that, please do. But um, my Instagram and my website are my my two easiest ways of contacting me for sure. And if you're interested in signing up to work with me on your trauma, you will apply for the Phoenix Rising. And you can do that through my website or through my Instagram link in bio. If you are interested in becoming a decolonized certified Reiki master with me, you're going to want to sign up for Ascension 101. You can also do that through my website or through the links in my bio. And uh, applications for Ascension 101 close at the end of September, September 30th. Uh, Applications for the Phoenix Rising are always open.
0: Awesome. Well, Maria, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Take care and bye-bye.
1: Thank you, Eric.